Mana 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 this is social disgusting welcome to social disgusting a podcast where my guests and i discuss our lives amidst the wanton hellscape in which we find ourselves i am brandon aka brandon hope you're well or at least as well as you can be my guest is a very funny stand-up comedian writer and actor who's very funny and utterly unique stand-up special thin walls and evening with my neighbors is now available to watch on youtube please welcome nick scarter rossi welcome Hello, thank you. Thank you so much for having me on. And thank you for getting my last name right. Nobody ever does that. <laughs> Nearly, okay, well, my last name is spelled R-I-E-D-I-E. Okay. So, which is pronounced Reedy, which, of course, nobody should ever get right. Uh-huh. But I, my point is, I know what it is you have a complicated last name. Yeah, yeah, well, I, I appreciate that. For yeah. y- y- years of comedy have uh, kind of, like, dulled me to people messing up my <laughs> last name, so... That was a, a nice surprise. <laughs> I imagine getting introduced on stage, well, probably with any name, but but certainly a, a more complicated name or uncommon name. It's probably like the equivalent of having your name written on any kind of Starbucks cup. Yeah. It's just a complete grab bag of whatever pronunciation. Yeah. I remember one time there was a, the, one of the, like, I think last shows I did before the pandemic all started, there was a, a lady on stage and she said... She she kept whenever people ask me my last name a lot, I know that they're gonna mess it up, and it's like not that big of a deal. Yeah. Um, but she kept asking me, and I was like, okay. And then she got up on stage, and she was like, please welcome the next comedian coming to the stage. And then she said, Chris Skadagorski, and I was like, <laughs> I was like, okay, well, I know she got the first name wrong. There's no way the last name's uh, gonna be correct. <laughs> she felt terrible, but it was it was fine. It's not like the end. Of, it was a bar show. It's not the end of the world. I but, do I do like the idea though of. If you're gonna get it wrong, like just a complete 100% whiff. Yeah, yeah, truly. That I I did appreciate that she really gunned it because she she wound up pretty confidently too, which is another sign that they're never gonna get it. Yeah, uh, it's always it's very fun watching people's body language as they go into saying my last name. Pure <laughs> the <panic>. best. <laughs> the the biggest whiff though would be to mispronounce the Nick part, but get your last name right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that would be interesting. When she said Chris, I was like, oh boy. <laughs> Yeah, if it was definitely like getting the first name wrong but the last name right, I would honestly just be like, let me just invite you on stage and let's just talk this out. Yeah, yeah. that is <laughs> utterly fascinating, whatever that is. So yeah, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm okay. I don't know. The we, you know the debate was yesterday. I don't know what the, the time period of the releases are on this, but we're, you know, the debate was yesterday and it was a very intense time. So I'm I'm as good as can be, which I feel like is a lot of people's answers right now. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Things are fine. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, look, look, it's an inherently unfair question because it's like, well, what can you say to that? You yeah. Know, how are you? How are any of us? And we're all just trying to do the best we can amidst a truly unfathomable, just psychically like shocking situation. It's like, yeah. what, can you, what can you do? Like yeah. surviving. There you yeah. go. Yeah. It's a deeply intense time and traumatic time for a lot of people. So it's, you know, I'm I'm as good as can be, but very aware of, you know, the the real things that are happening around me. So it's yeah, it's it's like a it's like I'm personally fine right now, but there's definitely an overall unease. Uh, I yeah. would say, yeah, yeah, I know exactly <laughs> what you mean. Yeah, I don't know. It changes a lot for me too. You know, it can change by the the day, the minute, the hour. It's just you just never know. Because sure, everything's just processing in the background. I'm just doing for me like the best I can to 
have distractions that allow me to have that stuff process in the background as much as one can to stay ahead of what I truly do feel like is an inevitable breakdown that I'm just staving off like as much as I can. Yeah, which I think is, you know, I think that there's a, a, a confronting it, you know, and, and is healthy to a degree, you know, like, uh, I think that we're all discovering, I guess I'm saying is we're all discovering what our limit is or like what we're comfortable taking in. Yeah. Uh, and and I think it's important to emotionally be able to release that as well, you know. So, yeah, I agree. Yeah, it's definitely a, f- a fascinating time for people's personal therapy. God, it really is, and it's uh, I don't know, it's that thing where like we're getting, I pray to God, like the worst case scenario mm-hmm. over the course of all of this time, and it's just I don't know. I want to get through it, but and I do feel like though that there is a strength to be found here. Sure, but yeah. but I, I hasn't I'm hasn't to say stuff like that because I just because I know that there are so many people that have it so much worse than I do and mm. I don't want to be like insensitive to that because it just feels like you know an oversimplification for an unfathomably difficult time for every people to varying degrees. Yeah, I think one of the things too I've been trying to figure out is the idea of mourning personal struggle with struggle at large. And yeah. I think, and I've talked to some friends about this, about that there's so much going on in the world that is so terrible right now, but there's also personal things. And I think that if you're an empathetic person, you know, obviously you're feeling things that are going on in the real world. And it's, I, I just think that we we should be okay mourning our own personal issues, how big or how small they are, as well as being aware of the outside stuff. Because I think there's sometimes an inherent guilt with feeling bad about your own personal things when so much of the world is bad. Yeah, I think that you can do both, frankly. And and I think that if we feel bad about feeling bad, it's just this kind of like never-ending cycle of pain, honestly. Not to be like so dark, but I think it's it's good to like, you know, mourn things that need to be mourned, you know? No, I know exactly what you mean, though. Like, it's... Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Practice empathy. You know, put yourself in other people's shoes and think about how how you you could have it so much worse and you could have it so much better. And you know, there's the duality of that, obviously. But at the same time, you also have to be fair to yourself. Yeah. Like, be kind to everybody else, but also remember, like, there's no nailing this, and be kind to yourself too, because I mean, we're we're all doing the best we can, and that's all you can ask of anyone else, and, mm-hmm. and let alone yourself. It's tough. That's yeah. <laughs> that's my that's my conclusion. It's tough. <laughs> it's tough. It's tough. But you did a special that, like I said, is it's so good. It's thank you. Great. Can you just explain or set up the nature of this special itself before we kind of go into that? Yeah, totally. So yeah, like you said, it's called uh, Thin Walls, An Evening with My Neighbors. So I, I live in an apartment complex in Los Angeles, and I filmed my first comedy special in the courtyard of my complex. And everybody in my building has become very close during this whole thing, you know, the past year. Uh, and we were, you know, kind of, we, we knew each other beforehand, but we've really like become a lot closer yeah. Uh, and so I filmed this, and then we interviewed four different units, and we intercut the interviews within the special. And so it's called Thin Walls because it's, you know, the one is the special is occurring, but it's also me and the world getting to know my neighbors a little more. You were working toward longer material for the sake of a special. But yeah. at what point in the pandemic itself did you think that this is something that I think I could do and want to do? It happened really quickly, to be totally honest. So in August, I turned 30 and uh, maybe at the beginning of August or like right before in July, I was going to have a birthday party um, in the courtyard of my building. And the idea behind the birthday was that people in my building would all sit around on the stairs. And mm-hmm. in the special, you could see the stage area. There's kind of like a runway. And so or like like a 
hall area. And so I was going to invite my friends to come over, walk the runway like a fashion show, and then leave. So it could be like a fun excuse for people to dress up and it'd be socially distant. And yeah. it'd just be like a silly time because I usually have like a big birthday party. And so I, I was going to do that. And then I started thinking, you know, oh, this is kind of like a show. I did comedy before this all happened. And I don't know what things are going to look like. And it started to hit me more and more about turning 30. Not that that's old, but like the 29 to 30 jump is, yeah, you know, it's... It, it's a it's milestone. A, yeah. And it's also like, it kind of messes with you in yes. a way. Yeah, totally. It really does. And especially with all this going on, it was just kind of on my mind. And so I was like, man, I should, I should do this comedy special. I think that that would better serve me and I think it'd be a really fun show for my neighbors and so I just you know I reached out to my neighbors and I was like hey instead of doing this fashion show how about two weeks later I do a comedy special instead would you guys be down for that and they were all very very supportive which I'm like eternally grateful for and and lucky to have uh, and I didn't want to put them through two productions in the courtyard yeah. um, and so we just moved on from the idea of a fashion show into a comedy show yeah, so that's sort of where the idea kind of happened. And then the director of the special, his name's John Zucker, he and I sort of came up with the idea of interviewing my neighbors as a way to get it even more personal. So yeah, that's kind of how it, it was all, it was all very, very fast though. Like, like idea of special to completion was like a month and a half. So yeah, very quick. <laughs> when you came up with that idea too, is it something that you just felt compelled to do it once you thought about it and realized how, oh, this is, I missed everything this is a very doable thing. Logistically complicated, though, I'm sure it is. Yeah. Um, yes. I remember I had the idea. I was there. I was thinking I like, picked up food and I was driving home. The second I had the idea, I was like, oh, my God. And then I called my friend John because I knew that he would direct it because we've collaborated on a lot of stuff. And I pitched it to him and he was like, yep. And then I called a friend of mine and I pitched it and he was like, listen, now that it's out in the open, somebody's going to do this and you need to do yeah. it. And everybody that I pitched it to immediately was just like, this is a great idea. Go for it. Go for it. Go for it. And so I was already kind of like the moment it entered my brain, I was like, I have to do this. I want to do this. I have to do something. And then anybody that I told it to was like, this is, I haven't heard this idea yet. Go for it. And so, yeah, it, it definitely, I definitely felt like there was like a fire under me from the moment it, the idea was introduced. So it also worked out well too, because I mean, obviously you said within two weeks of, or ish, of coming up with the idea to actually recording it. So you already had the material ready to go at that point. Yeah. Um, so so what I did was I found material that I had done over the years. And I, I had always thought about this. I had never done a half hour. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, I hadn't done when I when I, you know, going on stage to do the special, I hadn't done stand up in like six months. And so I was like, you know, I'd like to have a degree of familiarity with some of my stuff. A lot of my jokes are personal stories anyway, so they can fit at any time. And then there are some ways that I can retrofit them to fit these times. Yeah. Um, and so I cut together audio from old, you know, five to 10 minute stand up clips that I did. And then I stitched all the audio together to make it as seamless as possible. And then I sent it out to a group of friends and comedians that I really trusted. And then I wrote the order out and I let them know, you know, there's no transitions in here, but this is what I'm thinking of for the order. And then they got back to me and then I wrote down the order. I have like a little whiteboard in my living room and then I just ran it every single day. Just like it was, a, a, it was sort of like a monologue just every yeah. day. 
day. I had to run it uh, over and over again until it was just like drilled into me. What's interesting though, too, just as somebody that previous to this, I, I wasn't aware of like your background or the degree by which you just had the experience with it or had worked this material. But I truly would never have guessed that because I thought it was really seamless, like really good. And I thought the audience too was, I imagine though, they're very much, they were ready to laugh. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, John was really good about that, and and we had a whole game plan of you know how that goes out. And I had two openers too come out, so I oh nice yeah. So I I run I ran two shows in L.A. Uh, one with John, and then I ran another show uh, with my friend. His name's Neil Ghosh, and he's a wonderful comedian. And so I asked him, and I asked his other comedian, her name is Katrina Davis, to just do five minutes up top, and they're amazing. And they showed up and really set the tone for it and then john was just like you know this is a special so if you laugh obviously you, you know really laugh loud really lean into it and, I, and like every special does this so we were kind of just explaining how this is all going to work and that it was filmed and there's another comedian named uh, mark debanis and um he did all the sound design so he hooked up we had like la- lavaliers on railings and then we had a couple directional mics and then we had all the mics on the cameras, and then he mixed it all together. So it was really like a, um, you know, it was a very much a joint, a joint thing, uh, which I really and and like I said, Katrina and Neil really set the tone for me to go up. They made it very easy on me. Logistically, I can't imagine how it seems like a very complicated thing to do. You know, as much as like there was like a relative like DIY mm-hmm. element to it. How many people were involved, and how long did it take to record that? I mean, from yeah to getting everything set up to the openers to and to you recording your material. How many people? So with so we so John was directing, and then I think we had seven cameras, but uh, there were three main cameras, and then we had two floating cameras, and then there were two on the outside of the courtyard that we didn't end up using. So uh, nine, and then I guess Olivia now was our producer. So like overall, ten or eleven, I think people were involved with pre to post to now, you know, outreach. Yeah. Um, so we had like we had a a rehearsal a camera rehearsal about a week before because we wanted to make sure that everybody was safe and the whole crowd you know was wearing masks uh, and our camera crew was all wearing masks and the main three so it was uh, the names are Zach Foster Mark Sandoval Greg Hollander and then Nick Kirschman and then one of my neighbors um, uh, Lem Thomas he was they're the two floaters and they. I mean, they were just like on board, ready to go. And we ran the rehearsal like a week before to make sure that everything was all set up. And then we knew that we were going to start, I think, around six. And so we had about an hour before the weather dramatically changed and went and got darker, uh, which would and we were going with completely natural light and we had no light. So it was like, if it gets darker, the footage is going to get grainier. uh, It's not going to be as high quality. And so, yeah, I think to answer your question, I want to say about an hour overall. Of filming actually probably less because the whole thing is one the special itself is one take the intro of me walking out that was we did a couple takes of that just mm-hmm. for coverage which was really weird <laughs> <laughs> but uh, uh but the the special itself when i when i walk out start to finish is one take i kind of thought that just because i thought it was extremely effective too that just you get just camera on you mm-hmm. well shot you telling your jokes and then there's just no cutting to that there's no it really is, and I say this in a, the most complimentary way, less is more, and it really worked so mm-hmm. effectively. Thank you. Like, it's, yeah, I, uh, God, it's it's really, really good. It's, Thank you so much. It's, huh, it was so cool to see and to watch. So, yeah, I absolutely cannot recommend it enough. This is transitioning to completely different things. Okay. 
and you know, and you know a good transition because you pointed out, and then you talk about like, <laughs> him now. But uh, <laughs> are you a big sports fan? The reason I ask is because I heard you on a podcast talking about sports villains specifically. Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the reason I ask that is because I find sports villains and anybody I find anybody who is the most confident person in the world toward what they do, but then they back it up to be endlessly fascinating. I do too. Yeah. Oh yeah. Wow. I am a big sports fan. Yes. And yeah, I do too. I really do. I think that I hate when hate is a strong word, but I really don't like it when when sportscasters like poo poo personality. Uh, yes. And even when I hate it, you know, like like Joel Embiid is the center for the Sixers, right? And and he is such a big trash talker, and it gets under my skin so much. But I think I have a real appreciation for that because it adds a narrative and it adds a really fun time. Because if you if your team beats Joel Embiid's team, there's a real gratification to that but if your team loses there's also this like "Ooh, i can't wait for the next one and it's yeah. and nobody yeah, he plays dies the heel. yeah exactly and he does it so well and i think that yeah like you said if, if you can be great and you can back it up like go for it you know and if you don't back it up that's still fun too there's great stories i just you know like people that talk about sports and they're like well let's pass the ball and score and then we all shake hands it's like yeah I'm, forget you know like i'm i'm from michigan and you know when i was born it was like the uh, height of the bad boys so sports oh, no, is I love theater that, yeah. you know and i i i, yeah. I do think that i think that's a major fallacy of baseball mm-hmm. is that they are the most that and like golf are the most like traditionalist sports out there it feels like because yeah you know in baseball specifically i think about how oh this team is up by however many runs and then a player hits a grand slam and then they're admonished because that's poor form. They were already leading by a certain amount. And that yeah. happened earlier this season. And I'm like, oh, shut the fuck up. <laughs> I can understand if like a team is trying to put their first team offense in, in football and they're up 100 to 7. And then it's just like, okay, you can pump the brakes to some degree. Yeah. But at a certain point, we reach that line, I think, where stop them. Yeah. Like, at a certain point, you're just pissed off that you're getting... Your shit kicked in, and he won't do anything or can't do anything about it. Yeah, like it's I, ego. I agree. Yeah, I think yeah. There's a certain point where it's like, okay, you know, like yeah, you're like you said, like a hundred to seven. It's like okay, calm down. But yeah, if you're if you're having fun and and it's and and there's a grand slam at the end of a game, it's like oh, get over it. You know, like <laughs> yeah, you're the the be passionate. Then then win the next time. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. It's it is. I know. Understand too that like also that we're that admittedly a thing that I brought up, but. Talking about, you know, sports amidst a pandemic and it's like, who gives a shit? But mm-hmm. I, I say that as somebody who I've been watching basketball and it's been fantastic to watch. Absolutely loved it. The bubble seemed like it was such a disastrous idea, yeah. but they pulled it off impeccably. It's really impressive how well it's worked. Are you are you rooting for well, so, who, the, between the guys the Heat and the Lakers? Do you have like a preference? I, you know, I don't know if this is contrarianism or what, but... I want the Heat to win because, A, Jimmy Butler. This is an example of a guy who is such a pain in the ass to certain people, (laughs) but he's just a guy who he is really good, and he backs it all up every time. And it's just like, how can you fault somebody for that? Yeah. And there are people, you know, that talk about, well, he was on, you know, the Bulls, but then he was on the Timberwolves and the 76ers. And these are all teams where he was surrounded by guys that didn't take it as seriously as he did. And, yeah, he bristled with that, and I get it. Because he's a proven winner, you know? So it's like, how can you fault him? So I just find him very easy to root for. And so I'd really like to see him win. Yeah, he does seem like a cool dude. (laughs) He's also like selling coffee. 
I think that's the funniest thing in the world. Big head coffee? I love Jimmy Butler. I do too. Yeah. I think it's so funny. <laughs> I do also like the fact that it comes in small, medium, or large, but it's all $20. Yeah, it's all, yeah. I mean, they're, they're all millionaires. <laughs> Who cares? Who gives a shit? I know. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, you know, I like LeBron a lot in, t- in terms of like talking about the finals that are happening. But, um, and if he won, hell yeah, that'd be great because he seems imminently like just not even likable. I think lovable. I don't know how you can root against him. Yeah. Ever. I, you know, I was a very, I was not a LeBron fan for a long time just because, well, he's from Ohio and I'm from Michigan and that's a whole thing. Yeah. And, you know, and he's an Ohio State fan and I went to Michigan and, and, and then I remember, you know, the Cavaliers had to run through the Pistons for him to get good. And I remember being like 13 or 14 when they finally did it. And the Cleveland fans were calling us the Detroit Pissons. And it just, it, <laughs> it was, honest to God, like a like it almost became a supervillain origin story. I was so mad. And <laughs> I, I truly, to this day, cannot stand. I mean, like, I'm sorry if there's anyone in Ohio. And especially if you want to look at my special, <laughs> look at, <laughs> know that I enjoy our sports rivalries. But um, man, it just, I really do struggle with Ohio sports teams. And the way that they called us that, I just, I like, for so long, I couldn't stand LeBron. Uh, yeah, but he's just been so undeniably good for so long that I remember a couple of years ago I was like, ah, fine, fine, fuck it. He's a yeah. he's great. I feel he's like amazing. yeah, even if you don't like him, he demands respect either way. Yeah, because he's it's like you can't deny it. You know, like yeah. as much as even if I were like pissed off at him or just had this bitter rivalry or, or blood feud against him or something. Yeah, it's like he's LeBron. Yeah. He got chosen one tattooed on his back, and then he answered that. What a power move! I right? respect it so much. That is wild to me. <laughs> like, good for him. That's that's a different type of person, you know. He King James when he was eighteen, and then he did it. <laughs> if you do something, you know, and and it's such a thing to where yeah, it's undeniable, and somebody hates him, that's still something where they can they'll still have to say like, hey, fair enough. I yeah. mean, even that one. Okay, more more power to you on that one. So are you a Detroit, this is what, a Pistons and Lions fan? Yeah, yeah. I mean, Tigers, Red Wings, like, I pay less attention to baseball and hockey, which is, you know, a little sacrilege coming from hockey town. But yeah. I, I, I like those teams, and they're st- like, I have the hats, and they're still my teams. But the Pistons and the Lions, I'm like like a dyed-in-the-wool fan, which is so upsetting being a Lions fan. <laughs> <laughs> so were you excited then when uh, when Blake Griffin went over there? I was, I was, and and you know what, Blake has done. <laughs> first name basis. Yeah, Blake Griffin has done a really good job of embracing Detroit, and I really appreciate that because I remember a lot of people were making jokes that he got traded from L.A. to Detroit, and and you know, I I really I I get kind of I hate when people talk shit about Detroit because it's a really wonderful city and it's full of like wonderful hardworking people and so I I, I bristle at that notion quite a bit and he never made it a thing and he's really you know he's he's put his his body literally on the line playing and, and hurting himself not that you have to do that but he's really you know moved forward I'm really proud to see him in a Pistons jersey and I don't know if it'll be forever but I do respect a superstar getting traded uh, in a situation that he probably wasn't initially very comfortable with, kind of blindsided him, and he really has embraced that town. And I think that even when he leaves 
one day people are going to miss him because yeah he's just been very uh, i really like blake a lot on yeah, i know what you mean though about like this is a guy yeah he played in la drafted by the clippers and he has a literal and vested interest in being in la because yeah he's in the comedy scene to a certain degree but he also has a production yeah. company yeah and he's remaking like uh hoop dreams for example yeah is what his production so he has every reason to want to be around there just like lebron moving out to L.A. with the Lakers and then having his own Spring Hill production company, and mm-hmm. he has a life there. So I could see it. You know, you've seen so many instances of it where a player will just actively thumb their nose at this happening and then, you know, not play as hard. And he, to your point, like, he is all in on that team. Yeah, and that I think that really earns the respect of Detroit sports fans because it's, it's such a blue-collar town, and we have such an identity as, like, a rough sports town yeah uh and you know a superstar coming from la it really could have gone very poorly and he could have you know said oh i don't want to be here and this and that and uh, but yeah he just came to play and regardless of what happens in the future i i will always respect that he did that yeah i would do especially you know well he's like whether the talent is still equivalent to that although his game has really evolved and he's just such an all-around player now he is too yeah but it's really impressive because this is a guy, you know, he's a, he could have coasted on his athleticism uh-huh. for the rest of his career, relatively speaking, and it would have gotten him pretty far. Yeah. And he seems like a nice guy on he top of that. He does seem like a cool dude, too. Yeah, that doesn't <laughs> hurt that every time he's on camera, he's like very funny and, and yeah. very, like, he just seems like he'd be like a cool guy. To, it, it, you know what always trips me out, too, is that he's not that much older than me, and that always weirds me out. <laughs> that, I remember like, when that <laughs> happened to me. Yeah. It's just such a weird thing to be like, oh, we have similar, I mean, except for the whole you're a millionaire basketball player. We do have like, you know, we played with Pogs in the 90s. I'm willing to imagine Blake Griffin also played with Pogs. Uh, (laughs) So (laughs) that's weird for me to think about. Except he had to buy like bigger Pogs, like special ones that he couldn't trade with anybody just because he couldn't put his fingers in the little rivets and then flip it, you know? He was far too large for a normal (laughs) Pog set. Yeah, he had the big and tall Pogs. Yeah. (laughs) Is this is a random question? Yeah. Is the Social Network still your favorite movie? Wow, you like this is wow. These are deep questions. Uh, 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 it is, yeah. Um, uh, wow, I didn't expect that. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, well, I rewatched it the other day. I've watched it many times, and I do. You know, I think it's unbelievable. I think it's so good. And I was curious about. You know, they're talking about. You know, Aaron Sorkin's like maybe we should do a sequel to the Social Network. Oh. And honestly, I don't think we need that on any level that's a good point I, you know part of me thinks because the aesthetic is so fun i mean so I, I will say this the social network and hot fuzz are probably my two favorite movies of all time yeah uh, and i know that and i've really struggled with hot fuzz you know in in light of the recent discourse surrounding the police but hot fuzz yeah. is about the police in the uk uh so that's my like one excuse for and it's not really like it doesn't really touch upon that but i do still sometimes feel weird being like i love a movie about cops yeah, well, uh. <laughs> it also helps with the fact that it's, well, although it's like contributing to the genre itself, but it's also parroting it yeah, to a totally. certain degree to where I feel like, yeah, I could I could psychologically distance myself enough. And the UK factor also helps. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. So those are like, those are very much my two, my two favorite films. I do think the social network is like a, it's a film that I will show my kids one day to be like, this is what it was like before and this and then i can talk to them about after but i do think it's like a, yeah. it's a very it's a it's a very time defining movie of that era for uh, sure 
Uh, and I think it really does a good job of showing kind of how quickly it all took over, you know? And, and yeah, I think David Fincher is a, is an incredible filmmaker. Um, He's my he, favorite. Yeah. My yeah, favorite filmmaker. The, yeah. He, I mean, he made a, a deeply compelling movie about the creation of a website and that's, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm very much in awe of that. Yeah. I definitely have a love hate relationship with the, the lawyer upline because I think it's an amazing scene, uh-huh. but the way it's just become just a hat on a hat on a hat. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like the ubiquity of that yeah. is, but then again, it's like anything that's for the most part, like good is going to be hijacked by popular culture and, and the zeitgeist anyway. So, uh-huh. you know, it's usually uh, a good sign yeah. for the most part, but it is interesting. Like Andrew Garfield is an actor. I, you know, I think Eisenberg is great. Like, don't get me wrong. But I think I think Garfield is in, is a more interesting actor. I do too. I do too, and I think it's it's pretty wild to me that he didn't get nominated for a best supporting actor for that. I agree. Too, he was very new to the scene, but at, at that time, he's definitely been. And it's not that this is new, but that he's been on that track, especially lately, like more in the kind of the Pattinson vibe yeah. and Gyllenhaal before that, to where he is like realized, oh, I want some control over what I do, and I want to have a character that's layered and something that's challenging and interesting. So I'm going to work with people that I want to work with and then the rest will come with it. Yeah. Because I think, you know, that Spider-Man, well, I'm going to say trilogy, but the two movies they did, The Amazing Spider-Man, I thought those, I thought they were kind of disastrous. Like, (laughs) because in that they were deeply uninteresting for the most part. Like, Mm -hmm. I like him a lot and I think he did the best he could and I thought, you know, Emma Stone is Emma Stone. She's just this undeniable star. Yeah. But I think the most interesting parts were when they were together and the rest was a little muddled, I guess. I don't sure. Know. Yeah, I could see that. I could see that. I like the first one a, a, a lot more than the second one. I agree. Um, but I was yeah. definitely very curious to see Paul Giamatti. That's what I was waiting for. And we never oh, got I know. That. I know. That was <laughs> I was like, I oh, wanted cool. that so much. <laughs> Paul Giamatti's in this movie. And then you're like, wait, uh, OK, <laughs> that's the end <laughs> of the movie. <laughs> It's like, wow, he is pissed off, bald, with tattoos on his head in, like, a dump truck? Yeah. And we, we get four minutes of that? Like, that that's the, the biggest crime of all. I'm curious how much they paid Paul Giamatti to do that, because I feel like he could have had just anybody in that in that role. They definitely had to pay him, because he just strikes me as a guy where, and maybe this is me projecting just based on a lot of his just aggro characters, but... I don't know. I, he, I'm sure he's a really nice guy, but I also don't think that was his first choice of a project he wanted to do. Right. Yeah. It just. And I mean, it's already Spider-Man, so it's already a property that's going to get a lot of play. So they didn't need to put Paul Giamatti in that film. Yeah. <laughs> and then they. <laughs> yeah, man. I I would love to be a fly on the wall for the Paul Giamatti casting decision in that Spider-Man movie. <laughs> you know, uh, honestly, <laughs> it could be like um. A Tommy Lee Jones and like Men in Black two and three situation. Yeah. To where I think I read something in Entertainment Weekly years ago, and I think it was about Men in Black two specifically. How he was signing the director and talking about like, well, why did they do this? Like wondering the reason for this, and I guess trying to make logic out of a Men in Black sequel. They eventually like talked it out, and he just wasn't getting satisfied, and he kind of like sighed, and then he asked, he was like, "Did the check clear?" And they're like, "Yeah," and he was like, "Okay, we'll just do it," and like that, you know, like. Like that of like an artist who is, in his case, very cranky, but uh, who is just ultimately like it's pay to play and it's what you get out of this as much as like the, you know, the artful rewards of it, I guess. Totally. Yeah. 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 I mean, to some degree, there's parts of me that it's like, oh, yeah, OK. You know, 
two months of work and, and now you have all this money and you can do whatever you want afterwards. There's a certain degree of that that I understand, which I know is like, <gasps> you know, as like a, as a, as a quote unquote artist. Uh, I mean, I get it. I, I don't blame him one bit. You yeah. Know? I'd say that we're like right off the heels of Barry Jenkins being signed on to direct the Lion King prequel. Oh yeah. That is one to where in my brain, I'm like, I mean, truly like he deserves a payday. You do you. That yeah. said, Disney isn't exactly known for their high salaries. So that's where I'm confused because I'm like, I'm just thinking, what dream project is this going to get you? Because yeah. it is such a weird choice to me on every Yeah, and, and Barry Jenkins is like one of those like auteur directors. Yes. You know, like he's like he's really, he's already great, but he feels like one of those directors that in 20 years you'll talk about him like, uh, like a like a Scorsese or like a you know like one of those big time you like a Tarantino not not in the stylistic sense but in the sense that when you're watching a Barry Jenkins movie you know you are and he's an artist phenomenal. he's a real yeah. no shit artist yeah and I wonder how much decision making he's gonna get uh, in a movie like that. And I'm also curious what they're gonna do for a sequel. Uh, yeah. I, I hope it. I hope it. Does. I'm, I'm a huge Barry Jenkins fan. I think Moonlight's like a phenomenal film. Unbelievable. Uh, yeah, and so and uh, so is uh, if Bill Street could talk. It's like a, it's a yes. really really wonderful f- movie. And so yeah, I, I I hope for nothing but the best. But I too was like, oh, that's an f- interesting <laughs> choice from him and his team. <laughs> I'm just like I'm like, is it that did he bring that up or was it just some like a. Uh, 28 year old like disney exec or who was just like what do i want to do a liking movie and he's like yeah and he's like no shit okay okay Hell. sure all right <laughs> i mean i whew, i just did that as a joke but that's not okay yeah, yeah, let's yeah. Make this out. <laughs> so yeah i i don't mean to make up uh, take up more of your time but huh? is there well i already know one thing but uh, what all do you want to plug, plug before we wrap it up? I guess just the special, you know. If if you if you watch it and you like it, I guess take a take a little thing from my book and share it with your neighbor or your friend, and you know, get it out there because I think, well, one, it's you know a lot of material over the years that I don't have anymore, uh, but <laughs> I, I I really I don't know I'm really proud of it and I'm really proud of the work that people my friends put into it and. Uh, just that people really answered the call and it means a lot to me. Uh, and again, thank you for having me on uh, Absolutely. Uh, to talk about it and to talk about, this is a really great conversation. You're a great interviewer, by the way. Oh, um, thank you very much. Yeah, yeah, I really appreciate it. Yeah, I guess just watch the special. It's Thin Walls, uh, An Evening with My Neighbors. It's free. It's on YouTube. And if you like it, share it. If you don't like it, I don't know, tweet at me and we can talk about it. <laughs> I don't, I'm yeah. a nice guy. <laughs> <laughs> I can confirm. And it, yeah, I truly I cannot recommend it enough. It is great. So thank yes, thank you for being on. Thanks for having. I really me. do appreciate it. Thank you all for listening. Just please wear a mask. Take mm-hmm. care. Stay safe. Be kind to yourself. Be kind to other people. And that's it. Goodbye. Mm-hmm.